Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. good day to be in the throne room. Amen. Holy Spirit is here. So if you've just joined us or are new to Church 214, we're in the middle of this series on Revelation, taking 22 weeks to cover Revelation, which is not nearly enough time, but we're giving it a go. And I want to remind us, we're, we're in this three, kind of three-week anchor series, and this is the end of a three-week anchor series, but that we always need to come back to. It's so important as we move forward into the seals and the trumpets and different things that we can get distracted by, that we come back to the throne room and the one who anchors everything and the throne that is above every throne, Amen. And I want to remind us that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a revelation of a beast or a dragon or a bottomless pit. It's the revelation about one name alone, the one who is worthy to receive glory and honor and power and riches and blessing and strength. It's an unveiling. It's a pulling back of the curtain to reveal the greatest and most true reality, a reality that sometimes we have a difficult time seeing with our physical eyes. The reality that the Ancient of Days, the Eternal King, our Father, absolutely adores his family, you and me. And that Jesus Christ is one and the same. He is the Eternal King. He is the Ancient of Days. There is no mistaking that. He is a mighty warrior that is unstoppable in his power and his glory. Let's pray. Father, this war horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the battle belongs to you. As we ride this morning with you, Father, would you help us to go at the same speed that you're going, to not get ahead of you or behind you, but to ride with you, to follow the one on the white horse the one with the sword coming out of his mouth. We want those words to pierce our hearts this morning. Would you reveal to us what it is to be people of the throne room that come up here, that take your invitation, that come through the open door of heaven that has been opened because of your son and to see from the truest and greatest reality. May you unveil some things in our hearts today. May we be changed because of the words that you speak today. I pray that this seed would fall on fertile ground, that hard hearts would be cultivated up, that the birds, the principalities, and powers would not have any ability to interfere with what your voice is speaking today. We claim that in the name of Jesus Christ. And that this word, your word, would bear much fruit. That what is eternal always replicates. That fruit trees 
bear more fruit trees. We receive that in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's family said. Amen. So we're currently in chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, and we took this chunk of time to, to camp out here, like I said, to be an anchor point that we can come back to and refer back to because you're going to need to do that. And John has this invitation from, John, uh, from Jesus as Revelation 4 opens, and Jesus invites him up here. He says, come up here, John. Look and behold from a higher place, the ultimate reality of my throne room. And before we go there, though, I, I want to drop in on another throne room scene from the First Testament, the Old Testament, from Isaiah chapter 6. I want you to keep this in your back pocket as you listen and we contrast Isaiah 6 scenes with Revelation 4 and 5 scenes because we're going to find some incredible things here. Isaiah writes this in, in Isaiah 6 verse 1. He says, the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they called to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth where you are right now is filled with his glory. And the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah cried, Woe is me. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, he said, with a live coal in his hand, a burning coal which he had taken from the tongs of the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard... The voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Keep that in mind. Isaiah's throne room visit from Isaiah chapter 6. Fast forward to Revelation chapter 4. Like I said, it's an open door invitation that John has. For both John in that moment and to you and I in, in this moment right now or any moment in your life. See, he won't force you. He never forces you. That's a God of love. He doesn't force you to choose him. But he's always knocking at your door. He's, his door is always open. And the invitation to come to him is always there. But it's your cho choice to take the step to make the move. And if you've turned to Jesus Christ today and you are a follower of his today, then Paul writes in Ephesians 2, he says, you are seated right here, right now in heavenly places with Christ. And right now, your spirit man, your spirit woman is seated with him in heavenly places, whether you know it or not. But I want you to know it today. Because from that vantage point, you are high above every principality and power and the things that distract you on earth. And that's the place he wants you and I to operate from. So John accepts Jesus' invitation and comes up to the throne room. He's in the spirit and he sees the one, the ancient of days, the same one Isaiah saw, seated on his throne. Colors and light that Phil described last week, incredible, that John has never seen before. 
the brilliance of light surrounding his throne. There's one throne surrounded by 24 other thrones around the king. And these are the 24 elders dressed in white, crowns of gold on their heads. The elders, that's you and me. We surround the king of kings. See, he surrounds you in your life, but you also surround him if you've chosen him. You encircle the ancient of days. There's unity among his bride. No gaps with a circle around the king. And from the throne, John sees lightning and he hears thunder just like Isaiah heard and saw and he sees the seraphim the same the burning ones the same ones that touched that coal to Isaiah's lips the throne guardians of Yahweh John sees them too and day and night they're saying the same thing they did in Isaiah holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty the one who was and is and who is to come See, he's been in your past, he's right here in your present, and he's going to be in your future. He's the one who was and who is and who is coming. And John writes, whenever those living creatures, the seraphim, give glory and honor and thanksgiving to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, you and I, fall down before him. We get off our many thrones and fall to our face. And worship him who lives forever and ever. And we take the crowns of gold that he's given us and we throw them down. And he picks them back up and puts them on our head and we throw them down again. That's what it means to be a person of the throne room. And we say, worthy are you, Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. Because of your will, they exist, and we're created and we're brought into being. And John sees that the Ancient of Days is holding a scroll in his right hand. And it has writing on both sides, and it's sealed with seven seals. Phil gave a great job of explaining the legal implications of what this must be. It has massive legal consequences for both heaven and earth, the entire universe And a strong angel shouted, who is worthy to open this document? Who has the authority to open this scroll? Who has the ultimate power to break these seals? Is there anyone who matches up that has seven seals that can break this? And they looked for someone who was worthy, and they couldn't find anyone. They looked in heaven, no one worthy. They looked on earth, no one worthy. They looked under the earth in Hades, no one worthy. And I wonder how long that search took. No one was worthy. No one could open up the written will of God, of the Father. No one's authority matched the seals that contain the unveiling of God's mystery, the plans, the schematics, the scroll. It was right there in the Father's hand, but no one in any dimension, heaven, earth, under the earth, held the authority to break open the seals. And John understood in that moment the implications that the universe, the plans of God, were stuck. No one was worthy. No one held that level of authority 
And from the highest place that John could go, the top vantage point, John was viewing a situation that in his mind was spiraling out of control. And from God's perspective, the family of God was stuck. And so John began to weep. He was overcome with emotion. He was weeping in the throne room. It seemed impossible that the mystery of God would be able to be opened up. But then, one of the 24 elders said to John, look again. Look very close. And John in the throne room changed his perspective and shifted his gaze and he saw someone, someone who wasn't sitting, someone was standing. He was standing among the seraphim and he was standing also among the elders. He was standing among the heavenly beings and the ones from earth. This is someone who belongs to both heaven and earth. Someone who joins both dimensions together. And the elder said to John, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root, the beginning place of David's heart. He has overcome. He is worthy. He has the authority to break the scrolls, to open the seal. And then John, just like in chapter 1, he turned. He's expecting to see a mighty lion because of what the elder said. But instead he turns and he sees a lamb. A lamb that looked like it had been slain, but yet it was massively alive. And the lamb was standing, and the lamb had scars and wounds. The lamb had seven horns representing ultimate power, ultimate authority. And the lamb had seven eyes representing complete wisdom. And I'm certain in that moment John recognized who the lamb was because he's the one who wrote in his own gospel, here's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John was one of the ones, maybe the only disciple that was years earlier standing next to Jesus' mother as he watched his, his, his wonderful mentor and friend the Savior of the world, he was the one in the shadow of the cross watching the Lamb of God take his last breath, willingly give up his life, slowly suffocate to death, painfully trying to get another breath, but yet submitting willfully to the Father's plans. When Jesus could have just whispered one word and legions of angels, myriads of angels could have annihilated the enemy, John saw it all. He witnessed Jesus. He was part of putting Jesus on the cross. He witnessed Jesus get murdered by the Romans. He saw this murder on earth, and now he's in the throne room witnessing the same lamb with the same scars. Yet this scene was glorious. The lamb was slain, yet he was standing. And he was standing amongst those from heaven and those from earth, the seraphim and elders. And the lamb actually looked more like a lion than a lamb because it was an incredibly powerful lamb. And all of a sudden, the lamb himself took hold of the scroll that was in the Ancient of Days' right hand. And as soon as he took hold of it, the seraphim and 24 elders fell down on their face. That's Revelation 4 and 5. 
And see, you and I are called to live our lives if we've already turned to him like John. We're called to live our lives in the throne room, to be people of the throne room, that practice things of the throne room. But see, it's a choice. The decision that each of us must make in every moment. Do we choose to see what only our earthly eyes can see? Or do we take the invitation of Jesus and walk through this open door of heaven? Do we come up here like John so that we can really, truly see what's going on? So for the people of the throne room, which I believe everyone in this room is, and maybe you haven't turned to him yet, but today's your opportunity to turn to him. Maybe you've turned your back on him. Maybe you were a follower of the Lamb, and, and today's your day to come back to him. See, he's never given up on you. He's always been following you. His mercy and, and love and grace have always been just one turn away. So I'm going to give you some practical things this morning. Five practices of the throne room for Revelation 5, okay? Get it? It's not going to be on the screen, so you're going to have to write this down. Or you're going to have to have a super awesome memory. The first practice of the people of the throne room is our proclamation. Our proclamation. In Isaiah 6, what was Isaiah's response to the holiness of God? That the first words, the first proclamation that came out of his mouth was, Woe is me. Woe is me. Revelation 5, what is John's response when they can't find someone to open the scroll? He begins weeping. See, what we proclaim with our mouth illuminates what's in our hearts. Proverbs says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. We will never stop talking about heart condition here at 214. It's so vitally important. You want to know the condition of your heart? Look at the last text you just sent. Look at the last time you responded to a difficult situation. Watch how you respond. The words that come out of your fingers or your mouth reveal what's in your heart. Especially the circumstances that are hard. And in both occasions, the Lord has to shift both Isaiah's perspective and John's perspective and their proclamation. Remember, Isaiah said, woe is me, I am ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. I mean, we would have said the exact same thing in Isaiah's place, in the throne room of God, fear of a holy ancient of days. I mean, yes, we're going to sense that we are not worthy. But remember what happened, the seraphim flew to Isaiah with a burning coal, and he had to burn that old proclamation off of his lips and check this out he said see this is in the old the first testament he said see this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away your sin atoned for this is before the cross this is before the cross my friends the lord is taking away isaiah's guilt and sin woe is me no isaiah i am ruined no absolutely not the lord literally burns those words from isaiah's mouth Burns that proclamation off his lips. We have to stop speaking proclamations of doom. There is too much woe is me right now in our world. And it's crept into the church. Self-help. 
Get yourself better. Get your, do things for yourself, 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 yourself. Woe is me. No, 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 no. This is not about you. It, it is because the Father loves you and, and you're part of his family. But if you would just shift your eyes off of yourself and look to him, your proclamation may change. And how about the weeping? I get it. John sees an impossible situation. We would have done the same thing. He begins weeping because no one is worthy to continue the plans and the mysteries of God. But the Lord says, you're not seeing this correctly. Look again. There is someone worthy to open the scroll. How many times is our response to things, woe is me, and weeping? When Jesus says, get off your mat... Pick it up and follow me. He's not going to pick it up for you. Sometimes we're, we're, we're praying about to get our mat picked up, and we're praying silly, stupid things like, Jesus, come and take this mat away. And he's like 20 paces ahead of you being like, I told you you to pick it up. That's your job. I'm walking. I'm moving. You pick your mat up. I'm going. You can follow me, but it's your choice. And we're stuck in woe is me and weeping. We stay on our mat. The miracle's already happened, but we have to join it. Woe is me. No, the Lord's burning that from our lips this morning. Weeping, no. Look again. Shift your heart. I'm not saying there's not hard things, okay? I'm not saying that. And we're going to see in a moment you're in a family for a reason. But we have to shift our mind to the mind of Christ. And we can't get sucked into this demonic, worldly idea that we can fix ourselves. That we can just sit on our mat and fix ourselves and pray dumb prayers when Jesus is like, no, you pick it up. I'm going somewhere. If you want to follow me, go for it. But it's your decision. He's already given you the power and authority to do that. So don't put it back on him. The time for weeping must stop. Look again, John. Look again, Chris. Shift your eyes. Change your proclamation from weeping to worthy. Worthy. Get yourself off, your eyes off you and onto him. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Your proclamation, the first practice of people of the throne room. The second practice of people of the throne room is your position. Your position. People of the throne room move. Why? Because Jesus is on the move. And it starts with an invitation from him, come up here, come up higher. That was John's choice. Are you going to come up with me or are you going to stay where you're seated now? See, the elders in that position have been given authority of the throne room because of the one who sits on the throne they have 24 thrones around the, th the throne, but they're given authority. Now, what they do with their authority, they submit it back to the king. But the, 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 the king of kings loves his family so much that he gives authority. He could do it all himself. Phil's preached about this. He could do it all himself, but, but no, he loves his family so much he wants you to take a position. 
He wants you to move with him. But see, love wouldn't be forcing you to do it. Love makes it your decision. It's not something you're going to do someday. This is something you're going to do right now. You choose whether you sit on your mat or you move to his position. And then those elders, us in the throne room, we take crowns and we lay them back at his feet. We're, we're always moving. We should be always moving. He's given you, he's a good father who gives good gifts. Every perfect gift is from above, from the father of lights, with whom there is no changing or shadow of variance. But when, we give those, when he gives us those gifts, are we laying them back down to him? Your children, your spouse, your job, everything. The beautiful, the crowns, the beautiful things. There's more crowns later when you advance to heaven out of this life, but there's crowns here now that he's given us. But see, we can turn crowns into idols if we don't take them off our head. Very quickly, we can, we can say, this is mine. Yes, the Lord gave it, but I'm holding on so tight. And people of the throne room, they lay it back down. They fall on their face. They get off their thrones and submit themselves before the throne. And it starts in this life, it starts by putting our body in the correct position. This is why we have these mats up here. I preached the whole message about this. It's just one example. We have these rugs up here so that you can, in this moment, take your body and put it in a different position. Because sometimes, all the time, when your body shifts and moves, it opens up your heart. It opens up your soul. You're made of three things, body, soul, and spirit. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And when you and I sit there, whether it's actually physically crossing our arms or just in your mind crossing your arms, your body has to shift your, to get your will broken. We have to put our bodies in the correct positions to receive his spirit and to allow his spirit to shift our soul and our mind and our will and our emotions. And people of the throne room position their bodies, as Paul says, a living sacrifice, pleasing and acceptable to the Lord, which is our reasonable service as people of the throne rooms. And it begins, you want to change your heart, move your body. It's weird but true. Second practice of the throne room is your position. The third practice of people of the throne room is your proximity. Your proximity to the elders in your life. This is awesome. Jesus places us in family. You're here in a church family this morning. We're, we're not meant to do this life in isolation. We're meant to do it in proximity of the family, to move in one direction together. And you, But you and I must choose that. We must choose the family and to be close to it rather than isolation. Now, yes, there's, there's difference between solitude and isolation. Solitude is when you get alone with the Father. That's, that's a practice that you must have in your life. Jesus modeled that for us. But you get alone with the Father to work on your heart condition so that you can come back to the family and be at proximity with them and worship together and serve together and do life together. You and I must choose proximity to spiritual fathers and mothers who position themselves in the throne room. 
those who carry humble authority, those who position themselves, those that are laying their crowns before the feet of the king, those that are getting off their thrones in humility and continually falling before the lamb. See, you're, you're either a son or a daughter. I'm a son or a daughter. We must surround ourselves with spiritual fathers and mothers. Remember, John, when this is happening, John, in, in, in an earthly setting, is on an island in Patmos. He's a prisoner of Rome. He's not choosing isolation, but he's in isolation. And Jesus, by his power, gives John this vision, and he brings him up to show him all this stuff. But at the moment, John couldn't even choose to be surrounded himself with any earthly fathers. All of his fellow disciples had already been killed. He's the only one left. And how beautiful of Jesus to bring him up to a throne room and not only place him among the lamb and the living creatures, the seraphim, but to put him in a family among the elders. And when John starts weeping, he has a family that surrounds him, who changes his mind, who changes his perspective. See, check this out. This blew my mind in a good way. Go back to the Isaiah 6 throne room scene. Isaiah is there, and there's something that's conspicuously missing when you contrast Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4 and 5. The Ancient of Days is there on his throne in Isaiah 6, Revelation 4 and 5. The seraphim are there. In Isaiah 6, Revelation 4 and 5, there's no elders in Isaiah 6. They are conspicuously absent. Why? (laughs) Because Jesus hadn't defeated the enemy on the cross yet. All the eldership, the righteous ones, the faithful followers of Yahweh, they were being held captive. They were in the underworld of Sheol, Hades. The elders couldn't have been in the throne room in Isaiah 6 because Jesus had not come yet to be the perfect sacrifice to restore our relationship with the Father. But fast forward, Jesus died. He did what? He descended into Hades and he took back the keys of the spirits of death and Hades and the greatest jailbreak in the history of the universe happened and he ascended along with the righteous ones to the father he released the captives and restored us to himself so in isaiah 6 it had to be the seraphim that took the hot coal and touch isaiah's lips because there was no elders there but in revelation 5 It was an elder, a spiritual father that Jesus had placed right there for John in his moment of greatest isolation on earth that used his voice to tell John, stop weeping. Look again, how beautiful of God. And just think that one dark night in Bethlehem. You remember it? We we sing about it at Christmas time. That one dark night, the shepherds are out there. It's dark. They're just watching their sheep like normal. All of a sudden, the sky lights up with angels. And what they say? Glory to God in the highest. And they're announcing that a lamb, they're announcing to shepherds that a lamb has come to earth. 
Fast forward to Revelation 5, it's reversed. It's an elder, you and I, that begin a new conversation in the throne room that turns the full attention of both man and heavenly creatures to the lamb who was slain. It was an elder. It was your voice, my voice, our spiritual father that spoke up and said, no, John, look again. Stop weeping. And from one moment of weeping, the entire throne worm bursts out in a proclamation of worthy is the lamb. See, the family needs the family, the heavenly family and the earthly family. They need each other to change perspectives. And you and I need to choose to live in proximity of spiritual fathers and mothers who will shift our eyes from woe is me to worthy is the lamb. Find those people. You might not be able to camp out on their doorstep and do life with them 24-7, but live in their shadow. I've got spiritual fathers and mothers that I'm never physically around, yet I glean from them. I hear from them but there's others in my life that I need to be in very close physical proximity to. Find those people. There's there's people in your proximity circle right now that you need to kick out because they are not leading you to the throne room, and there's other people that you need to invite in. Your your decision. And you'll know they're the right people. If If woe is me and weeping is coming out of your mouth in life, you need to find a new family. You need to kick some people out invite some people in your proximity changes everything it'll either take you to the throne room or take you to other throne rooms see that's not the only throne room there's daniel talked about in his vision seeing kings and kings and thrones and thrones right there's there's throne rooms on earth here that you can find that you that some of us are participating in that we need to exit now because it's killing us But Daniel said, no, I looked higher and higher and higher until I saw one throne and one king, this throne room that we're talking about. That's the one that you need to get into, and you need to find others that are already there living their life in that practice so that you can follow suit. Somebody who can tell you to stop weeping and look again. The fourth practice of people of the throne room is your praise, your praise. The elders held two things in their hand, and the first thing they held was harps. They are people of praise. They're like what we're going to talk about in Revelation 15. Those that continually conquer the beast, the number of the beast, and the image of the beast. These are warriors who war with praise, war with their guitars. doesn't mean you have to play the guitar. It means you have to have a heart of praise, a heart of David, a heart that is continually thanking God. Just like Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, always be thankful, always be thankful. If we're always thankful, man, our eyes, we don't have time to weep. We don't have time to say woe is me because our our gratitude changes everything. Our heart of praise changes everything about our heart. These are those that sing a new song. So what, what we just sang about, What came out of that moment in Revelation 5 is a new song. You know, the Lord made us to be musical people. And I don't care if you can't carry a tune or not, but there's a song that he's created in your heart that needs to be released. Sometimes just by yourself in your car. 
But there's a, no, I'm, I'm serious. There's a song that he's created. There's lyrics and melodies and things. It's, it's not about creating the music necessarily. It's about your heart response to what he's doing. It's about putting your heart in the right position so that you're playing that harp, so that you're playing that guitar, so that, the, that even in the midst of circumstances that don't look so good, in the valley of the shadow of death, you know you're coming back up the hill because he's with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you, and you're coming to a table. You know, a lot of times we're in the valley, but we know we're, we're, we proclaim we're coming to a table where we're anointed and our cup is overflowed, and mercy and goodness follow us all the days of our, our lives. That's a psalm. That's a song. That's a, that's a heart of David, someone who praises. If you need help, read the Psalms. And then start writing your own. This is about a wrestling. There's some dark things that David wrote about in the Psalms, but he always, or usually, flipped them around. You can write about the valley of shadow of death as long as you write about the table next. As long as you write about the shepherd carrying you. Wrestle with him in it. He's not afraid of your wrestling, but he wants to develop within you a heart of praise. One of your greatest weapons is praise. That's why the elders carry harps in one hand, because it gets your eyes off of yourself. There's a theme here. It gets your eyes off of yourself and onto somebody more worthy. And what better way than to sing a new song, to literally hold praise in your heart and your hands. It's something that happens from deep within you where his spirit in the deep is calling to your spirit in the deep, and together you're making music. I think I've talked about it before, but the humpback whales, every year, one of them will start singing a new song, just like that elder in the throne room. One of them will start singing a new song, a new melody, and pretty soon every single humpback whale in all of the oceans will be singing that tune. I want this church to be the one that starts those songs. Whether it's an actual song or whether it's lyrics or whether it's just a heart attitude. And instead of copying the ways of the world, we're copying the ways of the creator and matching the heart of the throne room. So the fourth practice of the throne room is praise. The fifth practice of people of the throne room is our prayer. See, along with their harps, the elders held in their other hand golden bowls of incense. It's interesting. One harp, but bowls of incense. I don't know how many bowls. I, I tend to think they're countless bowls. Because these bowls of incense that are burning and creating a fragrance are the prayers of the saints. It's incredible to think that your prayer, my prayer, right now could be creating a fragrance in the throne room. See, I don't believe every prayer creates a fragrance in the throne room, though. You know why? Because there's some prayer that's just not good. Because there's some prayer that's just about us. And in order for incense to create a fragrance, a smoke, there has to be something that happens. You can't just stick incense sticks in a bowl. Something must happen first. They have to catch fire. They have to be lit on fire. Incense only creates fragrant smoke when it's lit on 
fire. I wonder how much prayer of ours has been so selfish and arrogant and self-seeking that it never catches the fire of the Spirit of God. Never, the Father doesn't want to smell that aroma. So the Spirit never lights it on fire. Jesus said, right before he taught the Lord's Prayer, he said this, you want the attention to pray for the attention of people that you're with? You want to pray to glorify yourself? You want to pray with the wrong heart posture? Okay, you can do that. But if you pray like that, you already have your reward. And it just stayed in the same room with you. That prayer from that heart condition never catches the fire in the throne room. Never creates a fragrant aroma before the Father. Jesus says, pray like this. He said, our Father. Because you're part of a family. Our Father. You have to remember, it's not just about you. Our Father. Holy is your name, not my name. My name gets erased from this whole conversation of prayer. Holy is your name. All of a sudden, my eyes are on something other than myself, other than woe is me. Holy is your name. Worthy is your name. Your kingdom come. See, my kingdom has to die. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. My, my will, my selfish will must die. Unless it's in alignment with his will, my, my will must die. See, prayer from that heart posture that starts with that heart posture, that catches fire in the throne room. That gets lit on fire by the Spirit of God. As a person of the throne room, we are called to prayer, and it's twofold. We both release prayer from our earthly position here, the saints that catches the fire of the Holy Spirit, and it releases a fragrance in those golden bowls of incense. But then, check this out, as the eldership, our responsibility is to hold up these golden bowls of incense that are already on fire and to come into agreement with the prayers of the saints. Where two or three are gathered, there I am with them. The agreement of prayer that's already on fire. It's a beautiful thing. See, the Lord could have put these golden bowls anywhere in the throne room. He could have been in a corner somewhere. But he wanted you and I to participate. That we would hold them along with our praise and that we would hold them up to the Ancient of Days higher and higher so that the Lord catches that aroma that his spirit is lit on fire and it moves the heart of God. Because remember, we're in a throne room where, yes, there's perfect peace, with that sea of crystal glass, but there's also lightning and thunder. That's why the Spirit's so incredible. He can have perfect peace at the same time as perfect war with his enemy. And we are called to be people of prayer that hold up golden bowls of incense and come into agreement with the prayers of our brothers and sisters that have already been lit on fire and to hold them closer to the Father. You know, this year in uh, 37, which is our men's group, we meet on the second and fourth Mondays of every month. This year, Ike Schaefer and I felt very strongly that we were, we were moving into a season of prayer. And so it's going to look a lot different than it has in, in past basement nights, but this is what the men of this church are committing to do for, for this church. In that room right back there, we're renaming the War Room for these purposes. And we're going to have you as a church body, there's going to be a QR code that comes up here. 
and after the service, it'll stay up. Your prayer that's already caught the fire of the Holy Spirit, you submit that to this group of warriors. And on the second and fourth Mondays of every month, we will lift up golden bowls of incense with your prayer that's already caught fire. We will, we will come into agreement with you so that the, the fragrance fills the throne room. And it's not just you doing it alone. We'll bring our praise and we'll lift up golden bowls of incense. But we're committing in this next season. I don't know how long this season is. Maybe it continues forever. But we're committing to surround this church body and to go to war with you. To go to war in the throne room. To fall on our faces before the Spirit of God. To lay crowns down. To get off our many thrones. And to come seek the Father. And to create an atmosphere in the throne room that catches the attention of the Father. Get it? See, prayer is coming into agreement with the Father's voice. It's really, prayer is really agreement with what he's already said or what he's saying now. But that starts off with breaking agreement of every other voice that's not his. That's why it can't be our kingdom, it can't be our will, it has to be his kingdom and his will. Agreement with his kingdom begins with the death of other kingdoms. Agreement with his will is initiated by the end of our own selfish will. I was walking the farm yesterday and we're driving around a little bit too in the country and if you've noticed, there's a lot of harvesting going on. It's beautiful. You know, harvest season is actually a season of death. Because all this corn, all these beans, they have to die first before they're harvested. And, and then new life begins. See, death must occur before new life begins. And back when Jesus was walking the earth, his, one of his best friends, Lazarus, had died. If you remember the story. And Jesus shows up and, and everyone thought he was late to the party because Lazarus had already died. They were weeping. They were saying, woe is me. But their gaze had to shift, and all of a sudden Jesus said, open that tomb. He says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, the dead man, walks out of the tomb. And a little while later, after that, that had happened, Jesus went back to Bethany, same place that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And Mary and Martha were preparing the supper for Jesus, and the disciples were there. And we'll have to ask her in, a, in, in heaven, but Mary had this alabaster jar. It's like a year's salary. It was her most valuable earthly thing. And she took it into the room where everyone was seated. She broke it at the feet of Jesus. And she anointed the feet of Jesus with that perfume and she wiped it dry with her long hair and that fragrance of that oil filled the entire room. 
She took what was most precious to her and she broke it at her feet, at his feet. And it released a fragrance that filled the entire house. So I, I guess my question for us is today is what, what needs to be broken in your life that you're holding on to so tightly that your grip can't be on him? What needs to die in your life today? What agreement have you made with other rooms that are not the throne room that needs to be broken off so that you can come into agreement with his voice? See, we must, as people of the throne, we, we must come into this practice of breaking things that hold us from him, including the most costly thing. Surrendering crowns. Really surrendering everything. The people of the throne room surrender everything. Why don't you stand to your feet? Just close your eyes in this moment and let the Holy Spirit ask you some questions. The altar's open. If you need to reposition yourself, the altar's open. What in your kingdom needs to end so that his kingdom can begin? What do you need to break at his feet today in order to release a fragrance in the throne room? Does he need to burn the woe is me from your lips? Does he need to shift your proclamation from weeping to worthy? You want to commit your life to being a person of the throne room. What needs to shift today? Your position? Your proclamation? Your praise? shift something within your heart today. Maybe you've never turned to him 
or you need to turn back to him. Today is your moment. His heart yearns for the lost ones to come back to him. And the good news is he's already paid the price for you. He already knows your name. He's been there every step of your journey. He knows how messed up you feel. He can take your mess and change it from weeping to worthy. He can take your woe is me and change your voice to say, no, send me, Lord. Here I am. Maybe somebody just needs to say, I'm yours, Father. I don't know what the next step is, but I'm yours. I'm taking my eyes off of myself, off of my circumstances, and I'm putting my eyes on you, the one who has ultimate authority, ultimate power to open the mysteries of God. Maybe your prayer this morning is just, Father, reveal your heart to me. He's such a kind Father. He's such a good Father. And He's giving you good gifts right now. I believe that. By His stripes, on His back, you're healed. He's already done it. just need to walk in agreement with him. Pick up your mat and walk with him. He's the best shepherd. He's the best guide. He's the best friend that you will ever have. So, Father, we say that you are worthy. We say that you are deserving. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for putting us in position with you where we could have access to the throne room. Where we can see your might and power at work in our lives. Where you set us within families and proximity to the eldership. Thank you for family. Thank you for this heart of praise that you're developing among your people. Thank you for the prayer of the saints. We commit to holding it higher and higher in your throne room. We commit to coming into agreement with prayers that your spirit have already lit up. We can sense your heart is shifting and moving because it loves these people so much. You love your people so much. We agree the Lord is our shepherd. He's all that we need. Thank you for being that lamb who took away our sins, who changed everything. We love you, Jesus.